The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. I think it's important for you to hear not first the words of a man during this time of change, but the words of God. I chose these words very deliberately because not only is this my favorite passage of Scripture, but I think it represents the collective beliefs and attitudes of the leadership and the congregants here at Oldham Lane. From this pulpit, in this place, you are always going to hear the voice of someone who treasures God's word like gold and savors the word of the Lord like honey. And I think it's important for you to hear that. Times of change make us uneasy. Has anyone ever bought a new mattress? I would rather sleep on the floor or maybe in a hammock than ease up to the idea of mattress shopping again. I think it was a, a couple of years ago that Brianna and I decided that it was time for a new mattress. You know how, you know how it goes. You wallow out a little, little wallow in your mattress. And the truth is it's pretty comforting in the evening when you go to bed to kind of slide into this custom-made spot. But you wake up in the morning and maybe realize it wasn't as good for you as you thought. And so you're super resistant to the, to the idea of shopping. And if you're like me, you make the mistake of going online and looking at some of the mattress options that are available. Have you ever seen the advertisements for mattresses online? They make everything look so wonderful and perfect. The people wake up perfectly rested. Okay? They, uh, they wake up with their hair done. Literally everyone has this best night rest ever guarantee, so, so you, are, you know that you can't lose. And so, so you get up the nerve, and you decide to go to a mattress store, and you decide to see what your options might be. And what happens next? Okay, no offense if you are a mattress salesperson, because I appreciate, I know you have a job to do. But I feel like the first thing that happens when you walk into one of those stores is you get kidnapped. And then this person follows you around trying to help you find the perfect mattress. And, and I know it's their job, but it is really awkward trying to lay down on a mattress with someone standing there watching you, insisting that you take your time. <laughs> and every step of the way is awkward. Okay? You wonder about all the people who have laid there before you. You wonder if they ever wash these pillows that everyone seems to share, which is kind of an odd thing. All of a sudden, you can't remember if you sleep on your back or if you sleep on your side or if you sleep on your stomach. And, and then when you do remember, you till, feel too awkward to turn that way because everyone is watching you. Um, you certainly can't relax, and you cer certainly can't get a feel for what it is like. If you're like us, you have kids that are also running around the store complicating the matter, trying to jump on all of the mattresses. Um, and then before too long, after two or three or four mattresses in, they all start to feel the same. And you finally pick one that you think is going to be the most comfortable, and the salesman assures you, well, that one's going to be too soft once you start using it every day. So you pick a different one, and it's six months out, and so you can't get it. And so you finally think, well, maybe I'll go to a different mattress store. And then you look at the poor salesman who has watched you lay on 30 mattresses, and you feel too guilty to do that. So you finally agree on a mattress. 
Um, it gets delivered to your house. You get it set up. You flop down on this mattress, excited, and it's not the magical experience you thought it was going to be. It's different than your old one. It's different than the one that you tried in the store. Um, but you decide that you're going to sleep on it, and so, so you go to bed that night, and the next, and the next, and then you finally call the store back because you can't stand your new mattress. No problem, they tell you, but you have to keep it for 60 days before you're eligible for a store credit. And so then you hang up the phone disappointed and decide to tough it out. By the time 60 days has passed, you can't really stomach the thought of making another change, of going to the store, of going through the whole process again and spending more money. And so, like me, you vow to never change mattresses again. I think when I'm 85, I will be sleeping on the same mattress that we currently have. Change is difficult. It often feels like it's forced on us. We seldom feel like we can adequately examine all of our options. And often we're left in the end with, with something that, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We might know that it needs to happen. We might even know that it's going to be better this way, but we struggle to like it. Change makes us anxious. Is anyone else a little anxious right now? Because I am. Uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Carlson passed me by in the hall and she said, no pressure, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> There's been a lot of changes at, at Oldham Lane over the past couple of years, especially over the last few months. If you back up over the last few years, we find that COVID forced a lot of changes. And even though we've put a lot of our old routines back in place, it's not quite the same as it used to be. We've grown a lot. Okay? For a lot of you, having two services feels very normal. But there's a lot of us still here that two services is still a big change. Um, it still feels very different and very fresh from how things used to be. We have lost a lot of loved ones and important people through death or life changes. Um, even more recently, we've had some really big invisible changes. You know, it wasn't several months ago that Larry announced to the congregation that he was stepping down as an elder to move closer to his family, which we're excited for. That was a big change. Then it wasn't long after that that we announced we were going to be installing new elders, and now we have five new elders who we're kind of learning about and settling in with. That's a big change. And today, for the first time in 14 years, this isn't someone just filling in because Chris is on vacation. Chris is gone. There's a big hole, and we're not sure exactly how we're going to fill it yet. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression that all change is bad. There's been a lot of wonderful things that have happened over the years at Oldham Lane. We've shifted our focus to things of greater importance. We are loving God and walking humbly and acting mercifully in ways that I think we needed to grow in. We have rebuilt a lot of community relationships that used to not exist. We've learned the value of asking genuine questions and seeking genuine biblical answers. I think that we've learned to not just value Scripture above all else, but to use this thinker between our brains, between our ears as we're reading it. And all of those are wonderful, positive changes. Things are good here at Oldham Lane. Despite change being uncomfortable, I think we can all admit that a lot of good comes from changes. But when you're on this side of some major changes, it can be a little disconcerting. We're all in this together, and just like a lot of you, I'm a little anxious. It's for this reason I've put together a mini-series from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope that you would all open your Bibles there. 
It's entitled Anchored, and for the next three weeks, we're going to remind you of our anchor, and I intend to do so by leaning into this text. It's four verses. We're going to take three weeks to cover it because it is more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey, and it's worth savoring. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a letter from Paul, um, who is basically a mentor to this young minister, Timothy. Timothy is working with the church in Ephesus, and it looks like it was probably a pretty difficult environment based on some of the things and the ways that Paul encourages him. Paul at this time had been abandoned by a lot of people who, who he thought cared very much about him. And he finds himself awaiting execution in a prison cell. And it's from this difficult place that he pins this letter to this young minister, encouraging him to to continue moving forward in the faith. We find a call in his writings for boldness and for endurance. And we find a call to sound doctrine. You see, apparently uh, around Timothy, things were getting pretty bad. Um, And Paul expects them to continue to get worse. He begins chapter 3 with this kind of depressing assessment of where things were at. Let's read verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, he writes. Pretty, pretty rough situation. And, and then Paul goes on in verses 10 and 11, he reminds Timothy, hey, don't forget all of the things you've seen in me. Timothy's seen a lot of great things from Paul, but he's also seen Paul get persecuted an experience that Paul expects Timothy's going to have as well. We read in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you see, Paul sees the the world around Timothy as if it is in an out-of-control downward spiral. From bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then we get to our key text, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Today we're going to focus on verses 14 and 15, and as we walk through this passage one phrase at a time, I want to start at looking at the very first words, but as for you. Paul is using this phrase to to draw a stark contrast between Timothy and the world around him, the world that's spiraling spiraling around him. This is a, a mentor reminding his mentee that he is supposed to look different and act different and be different. Those around him may be spiraling out of control. They may believe lies, and they may be spreading lies. I feel like Paul describes a similar group in Ephesians 4.14. He talks about those who are like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, Paul desires something different for Timothy. 
this young man, this friend, this fellow worker, and Paul desires something different for you. There's a better way. Everything is not spiraling downward and out of control for a believer. There is a way that we can weather the winds and the waves and the storms and the deceit and the schemes of culture, and Paul is about to tell us how. Paul starts with Timothy. He starts with an individual. He starts with the you. Now, this is where our culture often stops, and the picture looks something like this. You have a personal responsibility You are the one who sets your destiny. You are the rock on which everything is going to stand, and it's just you. And to be quite honest, I feel like this is a crushing responsibility. You know, it sounds like freedom to be your own person and to make your own choices, but what sounds like freedom often turns out to leave us floating in the wind, untethered and tossed about by every wind and wave of culture. See, Paul understood that this was a, was a dangerous place to be. And because of this, he didn't just leave Timothy with a, but as for you, don't do that. But as for you, be different. He didn't say that. He gave Timothy something to tether himself to. And he's going to give us something to tether ourselves to. Some of you may have grown up on Aesop's fables and the tortoise and the hare. I grew up on Goofy's Big Race, as you can see on the screen. I think it's the same story, except in the early service, I called him Daffy Duck instead of Donald Duck the whole time, so my bad. I was corrected, so I'll be more accurate this lesson. Apparently, I didn't listen well when I was a child. So there's two characters in a race. You have Donald, who was the fast and the flashy and the reactive one, and then you had Goofy, and he was the slow, and he was the steady, and he was the focused one. And so Donald sprints down the road, and he finds all sorts of reasons to get sidetracked. He stops to play, and he stops to rest, and he finds himself speeding from one distracted stop to the next. And Goofy, on the other hand, is diligent, and he's deliberate, slow and steady, steady and slow. That's the way we always go. And he just plods along to the finish line, not setting any speed records, but staying focused and moving ahead. Much to Donald's dismay, as he comes speeding across the finish line, he finds that Goofy is already there. My mind is drawn back to this childhood story as I read this statement from Paul. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. I really like this statement because it feels like it gives me permission to never change anything. Just like Goofy, I can set my sights ahead and I can move forward, not thinking, just plodding along and ignoring everyone and everything around me. After all, Paul said, continue. Don't question. Don't waver. Don't move off the course. You learned it. You believed it. Now stop thinking and move on. As comforting as it might be to think that Paul was calling us to put it on autopilot, this certainly isn't what Paul was saying. Continue is a, is a call to perseverance, a call to focus. Paul is telling Timothy something that I think we all need to hear. He's saying, don't stop. Don't, don't redirect. Don't lose focus. Continue. This isn't a call for Timothy to shut off his brain, and it isn't permission for you to do so either. Paul calls people to repentance from wrong belief all throughout Scripture. In fact, even Timothy was raised a Jew, and now he is a Christian, so he certainly wasn't close-minded. He had accepted a reality that his Jewish peers had not. Paul calls him to continue in his beliefs, and then he proceeds to tell Timothy why those beliefs can be trusted. And I think in doing so, he gives us a litmus test for determining what we should continue in. 
You see, Paul in these next two verses builds this masterful and stable way of looking at things. And we're going to watch him construct an an anchor that takes our drifting self and, and steadies it against all that would cause it to drift off course. If it wasn't for this verse, I think I would have drawn the anchor a little bit differently. I think most of you would have as well. I would have said scripture only. Book, chapter, and verse, right? That's what's going to anchor us, is book, chapter, and verse. Interestingly enough, Paul doesn't approach it like this. Instead, he starts in a place that I would not naturally start. He begins building his anchor with people. He says, knowing from whom you learned it. This short little phrase I feel like I have read over a thousand times throughout the years, and I never really noticed it much until last summer when I was preparing a Mother's Day sermon, and my mind was in a different place. Let me say this first. The, the whom that we see here is plural in the Greek. So he's referring to, to a plurality of teachers. And I think that there are at least three people that Paul is talking about here. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 5, we see him make reference to his grandmother Eunice and his mother Lois. Okay? Sorry, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And then later on in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 1, we find reference to Paul himself as a teacher. So that's three major teaching influences. And I, but I think it's most likely that Paul was zeroing in on the first two, these maternal influences who had been present since his childhood. You see, the first tethered connection Paul makes is with Timothy's teachers. Now, it would make me more comfortable if Paul was zeroing in on the content of their teaching. But the reality is, the way he writes this phrase seems to imply he is not drawing on the content of their teaching first, but he's first pointing Timothy to their character. Timothy should continue in what he has learned because of what he knows about the persons he has learned it from. As I unwrap this, I come to realize that for Paul, the the track record of those who come before us serves as a stabilizing force against the winds of culture. I think about all of those who have had such a great impact on my development. Most of you would have a long list as well. I've sat under the feet of a, a lot of great teachers at this church. The impact of my mother and father is immeasurable. And as I seek stability in a a world that seems so unstable, I often find myself drawn to this reality first. I look at the character and the person of those who have taught me, and I say, wow, that works. It gives me confidence. It tethers me. Chris has been this for us, for many of us, for a lot of years. What a wonderful blessing to have been taught by people of of such great character that when we think of our faith, their example instills within us a confidence that this is true. But it extends far past Chris. I believe we stand on the shoulders of spiritual giants who have laid the framework for so many positive traditions and teachings. You know, we live in a world where often long-standing traditions are challenged just because they're old simply because we enjoy challenging things, we tend to think that if something is old, it's probably wrong. I think Paul would tell us, well, hold your horses. You need to pause before you go there. Change slow. Give respect where it is due. We shouldn't always be on the lookout for something new. Don't forget the stability you have seen in your teachers. 
And then he goes on and writes, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So now we see the anchor begins to expand. Paul Excuse me. Paul certainly knows that people alone, even people that we love and respect, are not capable of serving as the ultimate anchor. In fact, Paul understood that one of the greatest indicators of someone's character is the direction that their voice pushes us. The voices that we trust must be those that press us into God's revealed word. See, from a very young age, Timothy had been exposed to more than just excellent mentors and teachers. He had been exposed to the truth from which they drew their being, from the sacred writings, the writings of Moses and of David and Solomon and the prophets. Did you know that Timothy, this young leader and and minister, had a father that was an unbeliever? We know this from our first introduction to Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. I'm confident that his father probably had a voice in his life, just like his grandmother and mother. But, but Paul didn't encourage him to listen to that voice. And why? Because it didn't pass the litmus test of the sacred writings, of the objective source of truth. People alone are not enough to anchor us, but people do help bridge the gap and connect us to something that is. The sacred words written down ages ago by God. Many of you share this experience with Timothy, the experience of a a lifetime acquaintance with the Word of God. You spent time in Scripture as a child with your parents. You studied Scriptures with your peers at Sunday school. You grew up in a household where the Word of God was held with high esteem, and great examples of godliness were all around you that you could model your actions after. What a blessing. It's a blessing that Paul called Timothy to lean on. But then there's some of you who don't have this background. And I would guess you're wondering where this leaves you. Is the only way to be anchored in this culture to have the sort of of experience that Timothy had? I don't think so. In fact, Paul was calling Timothy to work with a group of people who had experienced everything but this. And he seemed to think that it was very possible for them to grow and mature into faithful Christians. And the way we're going to do that, was, or the way they were going to do that, was through a teacher, Timothy, who was firmly rooted in the sacred writings, Scripture. You see, even if this hasn't been your personal experience, this is the framework through which you are going to receive the stability that you need. Perhaps you're new to things, and that's good. Because this is a place where you are going to be able to tether yourself to teachers who are tethered to the Word of God. From the beginning of Oldham Lane in 1995, this has been a group of people committed to keeping our people acquainted with the sacred writings. And that will never change. And here is why. Because they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, what we do here isn't just about cultivating a feeling or following a tradition or following a person. Everything that we do is anchored in this final, most stable, foundational reality. Our salvation is in Christ. You know, it can be really easy to get distracted and lose this this very important layer, this final connection point of our anchor. We can have teachers and we can have sacred writings but if we try to tie it all into anything else we're going to find that we still float scripture is not the ultimate end 
It's simply a, a tool, a, a connection point that tethers us to Christ. It makes us wise for salvation because it points our heart towards Him. And that's key. Our hearts don't point towards Scripture, but to Christ. That's kind of a scary thing to say out loud because we love God's Word. It's more valuable than gold. It's more pleasurable than honey. It's something to be savored and loved, but, but not because of what it is, because of what it does. A heart that points to Scripture and stops there is a heart of a legalist, of a Pharisee. And our hearts don't point towards those whom we have learned all of this from, but to Christ. That's a, not as scary to say, but it's really hard not to do. In the early church, they did the same thing. Some pointed to Paul, and some pointed to Peter, and some pointed to Apollos, and we do it today. We can focus on our parents, or maybe our preacher, or maybe some other prominent mentor in our lives. It's so wonderful to have people who love us and teach us. It's so valuable, but a heart that points to people is a heart that's pointed at a moving target, a fallible target. Stability rests solely on faith in Christ. You know, when we were building our, our family center next door, I had a hard time working because I'm a child that's distracted by big machines. And they brought some really cool machines in next door. And they dug and they moved dirt. There was, there was, trucks and dump, there was dump trucks and diggers and bulldozers and all of that. It's a little boy's dream. So, so every day I, w- I would look out and watch them dig and dig and dig and move dirt and move dirt and move dirt. And it seemed like they did it for a month. And then they started bringing different dirt in, and they brought dirt in, and they packed the dirt, and they packed the dirt. And then they went back into that dirt, and they dug more of it out, and they made these big beams, and they brought this truck in, and they drilled these piers that were like 40 foot deep, and they filled them with steel, and then they brought truck after truck of concrete in, and they pumped it full of concrete, and they pumped it full of concrete. And now we walk through that building next door, and we don't give a second thought to all that holds it up but there sure is a lot there. I think sometimes we do the same thing when we worship. We appreciate all that is around us, but we stop noticing all that's there that firmly plants us with an immovable anchor. Let's quickly work our way backward through this text, and I'm going to use my own words. The hope and knowledge of our salvation in Christ, testified to by every piece of Scripture, taught to us through people and systems that have stood the test of time, give us a stable and consistent way of seeing things that sets us apart from everyone else. Times of change are hard and scary and disconcerting and uncomfortable. Just like going mattress shopping, we we dread it. It's uncomfortable, it's a little awkward at times, and after we've made a change, there's a long period of adjustment. Sometimes the change can seem to take center stage, and it can consume all of our thinking. But then we take a step back, and we notice some other things. We have the same house, the same family. We're safe and protected and well-fed and blessed. Church, we're anchored. But as for you, remember your firm beliefs from whom you learned them, the sacred writings, and your faith in Christ. I'm a little anxious about the changes. I'm ready to settle in to our new norm and to know what things are going to look like. But if I have to go through changes, 
I'm really grateful to get to go through them with you. I'm grateful to be anchored in something bigger and something deeper than myself. I'm grateful for the teachers that have paved the way for us. I'm grateful for the sacred writings that have been pressed into our hearts for so many years and for the salvation we have through faith in Christ that makes it all worth it. I'm grateful for these anchors. I'm also grateful that you are here this morning. Maybe you've been floating. We're a place where you can learn about the only solid place to land. I hope you will continue to attend. I hope you will get plugged in. I hope you'll attach yourself to people who will point you to Scripture, which will point you to faith in Christ. If you need prayers, if you need support, or if you've studied and are ready to put on Christ in baptism, the invitation is open. Come forward as we stand and as we sing. Mm -hmm.